We hope that this message will help guide you toward positive, Christ-centered change. By reviewing this podcast, you could be part of spreading the good news. Please also consider giving a donation to our ministry at cometoabc.com slash giving. As always, these messages are available to copy and share on social networks. Well, today I'm going to talk about experiencing God again, and we're going through uh, Psalm 23. So if you have your Bible, you can open that up to Psalm 23. Also, you'll see that, uh, that we're going through the second half of the portion, but I want to read the whole thing because I think this is one of, one of my favorite scriptures. The more I look at it, and every time I look at it or teach on it, I learn more and more about God, and I learn more and more about how he is holding us in his hands. And I think that we need to experience the presence of God, but we also need to experience the peace of God. Amen? And that's what carries us through difficult times. And, and we talked a little bit last week, and if you don't have a chance to, to see that, we're going to try to post that online, but it's also on, uh, on our Facebook site. Um, we talked about the first half of it. We're going to read the whole thing right now, and then we're going to go through the second half. And even the second half could be broken down into several different talks, but I know that all of you want to go to lunch at a good hour, right? <laughs> all right, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. How many of you like that? <laughs> See, I think unfortunately sometimes we equate Psalm 23 with just funerals. But we need to realize Psalm 23 is for the living. That's why we use it at funerals. It's for those of us that are still here because it is a promise of what is to come, but it is a promise also of what's happening right now, that God will be with us, that he will guide us through those dark valleys. And we talked about that last week, that he will give us rest and he will lead us into food and streams and he will guide us through all of these different things in our life and we don't have to be afraid even when we're fearful, we just realize that God is close beside us and we're comforted. So we're going to look at verse 5 and 6 today in a little bit of detail. I need a volunteer. Alright Skylar, you're going to help me out, okay? Skylar recommended baby names for me already. She said, and I don't know where she came up with this unique idea. She said, Skylar if it's a girl, and Skylar if it's a boy. <laughs> All right, how about you grab that? We're going to set this table up, okay? We'll go down there on the floor. How about that? It says, you prepare a table for me. There we go. So we're going to prepare a table. Now, I wish we had the most delicious brunch to put on this table. Wouldn't that be great? I don't. Sorry. <laughs> but it would be amazing. It says that the Lord prepares a table. You're going to help me out here. Hopefully this, this fits the length of it. All right. 
Now, doesn't that just dress it up and make it look pretty? How many of you are looking forward to the chicken noodle dinner? That is not a sheet off a of bed. No, it's not. Okay, there we go. So you prepare a table for me. Thank you, Skylar. You can have a seat. It says what? Where do you prepare a table for me? That is a weird place to put a table. So I didn't set up this table in the presence of my enemies. You guys aren't my enemies, right? If you are, just stand up and identify yourself. You can take care of it right now. <laughs> now, you prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. Now, why in the world would God prepare a feast for David in the presence of his enemies? What does that mean? Does that mean the enemies are invited to the table? They're invited to eat along with David? That's not what it means. What it means is, even in the difficult time, even when everyone around David or around us is against us, what he does is he prepares a banquet, an all-you-can-eat. And when I was growing up, the all-you-could-eat place was Ponderosa, and you would eat all you could eat. I would wait, you know, I wouldn't eat the whole day, and I'd just be thinking about that. I'm going to eat as much as I can. And I'm telling you, every time I went in there, that restaurant lost money. But this is what God does. He, he spreads a table for us. He prepares all that we can eat. He gives us more than we can handle. And he does it even in the midst of our enemies. That doesn't mean the enemies are invited to the table. The enemies can eat. You know what it kind of is? It's, it's showing the enemies who God is. That God is a provider and that God is a protector. And even though the enemies want to come against you and rip the table out from you and throw everything onto the floor and make sure your life is ruined, God doesn't allow that. Instead, he prepares a feast for you, and then he does something beyond that. So you prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. The feast demonstrates the love and care of God. See, in ancient times, covenants, agreements, were made, and then they were finalized through a meal. So when David is talking about this, he is talking about something that's just greater than a meal. He's talking about a covenant bond that is created between man and God, that is cre created between us and, and the Almighty, that he is promising us something here. But also, when you are going to sit down to dinner, you are also offering protection and friendship. So in the presence of our enemies, even though we have enemies now, God still provides a way through it. And then it says, you honor me by anointing my head with oil. Anointing somebody's head with oil means that they're an honored guest of the king. I need another volunteer who isn't afraid to get anointed with oil. Hey, Tim, come on up. All right, so... I've always wanted to do the old-fashioned anointing like they did in Samuel where they dumped like a huge vat of oil on somebody's head and it just ran off their beard. I'm not doing that today. You can sit down. <laughs> he's, he's about ready to walk back to his seat. But here, why don't you smell that? Does that smell good? <laughs> you wouldn't want to drink it. This is, this is olive oil, which is, was a popular anointing oil. That's what they would have used most likely. And I put in some frankincense. Ooh. I, did, I looked for the myrrh. I couldn't find it. My wife has all of the other essential oils. So those of you who are selling essential oils out there, get her some myrrh. 
So I mixed it in here. She doesn't know that yet. Well, she heard it now, and she's probably thinking I wasted a lot of money. All right. So what they would do is they, I'm going to give you a healthy dose here. We got, oh boy, <laughs> we, got, we got a Kleenex over there. They would anoint the head, and sometimes they would anoint the arms, and they would rub it off, and, and this was a way of preserving the skin and healing the skin and showing that they are going to provide for them and protect them. Anointing was a protection covering. That's what it was. So when you read through the Old Testament and you see that all these different types of anointings, uh, their, their priests had their own type of anointing. They would have their specific types of fragrances and everything mixed together just for that anointing. You couldn't anoint anything else other than priests. But there were other anointings of a guest. So if you were going to come over to our house, we would sit down and we would prepare a meal for you. And then we would anoint your head and sometimes even your hands. And, and you can imagine what this would feel like if you can grease up your hands there if you want to. <laughs> I'm gonna. Can you guys promise not to spill that, and I'll pass it around so you can smell it? Can we do that like we're in elementary school? All right. How about you pass it over there, and then they'll pass it back through there, and then we'll come back up to the front. How about that? Thank you, Tim. Everyone, give him a hand. All right. If you if you want, there's Kleenex there. You can wipe off your. I, I am someday. I really am gonna get a huge tarp and just douse somebody in oil. But in, in scripture, it talked about how uh, anointing was, was something that was put over you, and it was a protection for your skin. If you can imagine being out in the sun or in, in the Middle East and having all that irritation and dryness and everything else, and you get that protection put on you, your skin would just absorb it up. They used to also kind of use it to clean. They would scrape off the dust and the grime with, with oil at different times. Jesus himself uh, talked about getting anointed and he was anointed by somebody in a really unique way and then they got upset about it and he actually talked to Peter and said hey you were the one that should have anointed me but you didn't so there's a lot of uh, different types of anointings and it's an act of provision it's an act of providing and it is an honor Anointing the head means that you are an honored guest of the king. An honored guest of the king. And most of the time in this Middle Eastern culture, hosts were expected to protect their guests at all costs. So when you anointed somebody's head, you said, everything is at my disposal for to, to protect you when you're in my area. Now, we don't think of that too often now, but you can imagine what it would be like if you were uh, an alien from a diff different country or if, if you were uh, hunted like David was hunted by his own nation. They were trying to catch him, capture him, and kill him. You can imagine what it would be like to have that protection provided to them. So then it says this, my cup overflows. My cup overflows with what? What? Blessings. Blessings. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life. Let's backtrack because I skipped something here. I, I think this is really important. 2 Corinthians 1, 21 through 22. I want to show how you're already anointed, okay? It is God who enables us, along with you, to stand firm for Christ. He has commissioned us, and he has identified us as his own by placing the Holy Spirit in our hearts as the first installment that guarantees everything he has promised. Now, commissioned in, in, in that also is 
seen as anointed. He has anointed us. He has positioned us under his anointing by the Holy Spirit. So everything in our hearts, this first installment guarantees everything that he has promised for us. It guarantees that covenant that David had. It guarantees that protection that he has promised us. Okay, so the cup. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life. So, what does it mean to have a cup overflowing with blessings? In the Middle Eastern culture, you would have a cup, and perhaps you'd be sharing the cup at the table, but the guests would get it first, the cup would be poured, and it would be poured right up to the very brim of the lid. Have you ever, maybe you have a Keurig coffee maker, how many of you have one of those? Have you noticed how it never correctly measures the amount of water <laughs> that is to be in the cup? Have you ever come back and it's literally the the cup is filled over the lid? Have you ever seen that? Where the, the water, like if you poke the water, it's going to splash out. But it is right there at the very top. That's what it's talking about here, how the water or the provision of God's blessings is going to be at the very top the very top of your life. And, and I think the imagery is even greater than that because what happens if it flows out? Let's, let's say the cup is your life. What happens if the blessings are so great that they flow out? Where do they go? To others. To others. That's right. I'm going to have a sip of this tea. To others. How many of you want to be a blessing to others? It's important that God blesses us first before we're a blessing to others. And here's why. Because if we're the ones that are trying to do the blessing on our own, we're trying to help others, we're trying to minister to others, but we're just doing it on our own, then where is that coming from? It's coming from ourselves, right? It's coming from our own flesh in our cup. But if God is the one that's providing the blessing, then he's the one that's the provider and it's filling out over the rest of our life. And if our cup is overflowing, that means everyone around us is blessed by what we are doing and who we know, because God is the provider. Amen? So my cup overflows with blessings. It spills out into my family life. It spills out into uh, my church life. It spills out into my work life. It spills out in every area of my friendships, in my neighborhood, in my community. Everywhere I go, blessings should be flowing according to this scripture. And you'll see that through the Old Testament and the New Testament, that God places his anointing and favor on people, and then he fills them with his blessings. And when he fills them with his blessings, it's not just for them, but it flows out when we're obedient to God the Father. Thank you, Ricky. Hey, we did it. Everyone give yourselves a hand. It didn't spill. <laughs> it's good, too, that Chris and Selena weren't here. They're our new cleaners, so if... If it had spilled, we would have just blamed one of you. <laughs> All right. No, it spills out. The cup of blessing spills out into the world, and it spills out into our life. And in fact, the Old Testament has said that from the lineage of David, all of the world would be blessed. How is that possible? It's through Jesus Christ. Amen? So Jesus is the one that provides the blessing. Here's what happens sometimes in our hearts and our lives, though. We aren't at the table of the Lord. 
meaning we're not in his word, we're not in prayer, um, or we, we may be at the table, but we're not eating right. We're not taking care of ourselves spiritually, and, and we've neglected ourselves, but instead we just keep pouring out what's in the cup until the cup is empty. And if the cup is empty, how much blessing can you give? You place yourself at God's table. You're supposed to put yourself there, and you're supposed to drink of the cup. And then the Lord fills it back up again. And as you do that, he is going to use you as a blessing. But you have to make sure you're in right position with him. Because if you're trying to do it on your own strength, your cup is going to be dry, the work is going to be dry, you're going to burn out, and it isn't going to be fun. See, I think God wants to bless us by allowing us to bless others. Amen? That he wants us to be a blessing to those that are around us, to be a blessing to our family, to be a blessing everywhere that we go. So the cup. The cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life. Pursuing. What's chasing you? You ever have a feeling that somebody's watching you? Really feels like somebody's watching. <laughs> you ever have that? Man, my daughter. I don't know if I shared this before. She did it again. Um, Annabelle's the cutest little girl. You can't be scared of her, but I am. Last, it wasn't this last night, the night before last night, uh, I had put laminate flooring in, and I'm not used to that type of work. And I was so sore. I was like dead to the world sleeping, right? And I wake up in the dark to a little voice. And I don't know where I am because I was dreaming. I don't know what I was dreaming about, but I didn't know where I was. I thought I was in somebody else's house. I didn't know what was going on. I was confused. And there's this shadow that's talking to me about three and a half feet tall. It's just spooking me out. And she was standing there staring at me for I don't know how long. And she's done that so many times. I'm like, ah, don't do that. Uh, it just, it, it frightens me. That, that she's doing that, and it scares me. It's like she's pursuing me. She's chasing me. She's going after me. Uh, David, when he used the word pursue, usually it would be in the negative context. Everywhere else in Scripture that I can see of, it, it's the idea of an enemy coming at you. So what I think is happening in the poetry and in the song right here is that David is using really strong language to say, there is a hound after me. There is something that is pursuing there. There is something that's chasing me. This is what is chasing me down right now. It isn't my enemies. God's already taken care of those. He's provided me comfort. He's provided me the cup. He's provided me the anointing. He's, he's given me protection and everything else. What is chasing me down is goodness and love. How many of you want to be chased down by that? Amen. That's what I want to be chased down, not by the, the little girl at 3 in the morning. and It's scaring me. <laughs> but God pursues us. God chases us down. David was chased by an entire army, so he knows what it means to be a fugitive and on the run, but he was being chased down by the very love of God. He was being pursued by the love of God. What if God has been and is pursuing you with goodness and unfailing love? That's a good pursuit, isn't it? 
What if God is chasing you? And the very reason that you're here right now in this very moment listening to these very words is because he wants you to know that he is chasing you. How many of you remember courtship? Dating? A few of you remember. <laughs> Dating your spouse. How many of you remember those glo- the glory days of that? You know, All of that fun. All of that excitement, all of that pursuit, you know, generally the the men are supposed to pursue in that relationship, and there is a pursuit that is happening. God does the same thing with his goodness and unfailing love, but it never stops, it never dries up, and it never gets old. It continues and it continues. Psalm 139, 7 through 12, talks about what the Holy Spirit does and how he does this. Verse 7 says, where can I go from your spirit? I can never escape your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you are where? There. If I go down to the grave, you are there. If I ride the wings of the morning, that must be a pretty cool thing to do. I don't know how you do that, but if he does that, if if I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there your hand will what? Guide me and your strength will support me. I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light to come around me and become night. But even in darkness, I cannot hide from you. To you, the night shines as bright as the day, and darkness and light are the same to you. So there's no escaping. It's interesting, David, you know, wrote that. He's, it's, it's like he's almost trying to escape the love of God, and he realizes he can't. There is no escape. And it says in Scripture, unless you are drawn by the Holy Spirit, you do not have salvation. So God, even in you accepting grace and salvation, is present in that act, and the Holy Spirit is drawing you to God the Father. He's drawing you. And there's no way to escape. I think of the story uh, of Jonah. He tried to escape the will of God, and yet he was trapped by it all the time. Even when he had a bad attitude, he got pulled back in. God pursues. How many of you are thankful that God pursued you even when you were in darkness, that God pursued you when you tried to escape from him, that his love didn't end and it doesn't stop when we do wrong or we move away or we try to do something else. He pursues us. That's a comforting image to me because sometimes I can be a booger. And honestly, sometimes you all can be boogers too, right? But Even like a five-year-old throwing a tantrum, God doesn't disown you. God the Father does not disown you because you had one bad day. God the Father does not disown you because you committed that sin. God the Father instead pursues you and draws you back into right relationship with Him. How and where does it end? So I I said this last week and want to tell you again. So in Psalm 23, you have three different pictures that are painted. You have the field. You know, in that you have the valley and, and everything, the journey type of idea. So you have the field where, where you're uh, sheep, and God is the good shepherd. So you have the field. Then you have the banquet hall where it's the king. You've entered into the presence of the king. You've established this relationship, and you're under his protection. And then in the final verse, you have the heavenly sanctuary says this, and I will live in the house of the Lord for five days. I will live in the house of the Lord for how long? Forever. How long is forever? Forever. 
Yeah, Sandlot. Forever. Forever. Just going on for all of eternity. Going on without end. I can't fathom that. I can't comprehend it. It'd be interesting to do a study on heaven. How many of you would like a three or four week message series on heaven? And this is what it would be called. Heaven. It ain't what you think it is. (laughs) How many of you are interested in that? Okay. We'll do it soon. Heaven. See, sometimes I think we get the wrong conception of heaven. We have this idea, man, I'm going to be so bored. It's going to be so dull. I mean, I don't like lemonade that much and sitting on a front porch and playing a harp. You know, we're not going to float around and play harps all day. At least I'm not. If you all want to do that, if that's your idea of heaven, you go for it. I'm not going to be there. <laughs> not going to be. I'll be in heaven. I won't be doing that. You got it all like, whoa, where's Pastor Ben going? We'll pray for his mortal soul. All right. The house of the Lord forever. I will live in the house of the Lord forever. That's entering into the heavenly sanctuary. This idea of being in eternity with God and moving from just understanding who he is to knowing who he is completely and fully. We don't get to the house of the Lord without the journey through the valley, though. Remember earlier, Psalm 23? We have to journey through the valley. We are in this destination And sometimes we think in our life, if I can just get this much further ahead spiritually or this much further ahead physically or this much further ahead financially, then I will reach joy. I will reach uh, happiness. I will reach a level of peace that God wants to give me. I want you to know that's not how we get there. In fact, C.S. Lewis had some really interesting things to talk about when he talked about heaven. C.S. Lewis is a deep thinker. He wasn't just the writer of The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. He wrote a lot of other things and gave sermons and things like that. And, and he had some really interesting concepts of beauty. He had interesting concepts of, of eternity. His idea of, of heaven was that we are searching for something that is beautiful. We are searching for that perfect thing. We are searching for that moment that we can go, yes, I'm happy right now. And that is a God-given searching that we have within our hearts that is never completely satisfied and can never completely last because it is pointing to eternity with God the Father. And what we're missing is the relationship and closeness of relationship with God. What we're missing is the restoration of God's creation and that we all long for this, and that even atheists, the most devout atheists, people that do not believe in God, don't believe in an eternity, they all want to work towards a greater good, and they all want to build a greater hope, and, and they all want utopia in some way, yet utopia can't be reached, and they'll never be reached in their lifetime, so why are they working towards it? Especially, why are they working towards it? If, if we know by science, and Scripture said this long before science ever did, that the world is finite and will be destroyed someday, and that the sun will go out, and there won't be life in the universe. So if we're really going to look at it that way, you know, if we're atheistic, then really there is no hope, because it will all be gone. Yet there's something within us. There is a drive within children and and men and women to create something that lasts forever. That's why my kids get upset when I throw their doodles away. Because we want to make something that lasts. 
We have this desire to do something like that. And it is a God-given desire because our souls are infinite. They're not finite. Our bodies are finite. Our bodies will die. Our bodies will be in the ground eventually. But our souls will live forever somewhere. I want it to be in the house of the Lord forever. I want it to be in the house of the Lord forever for you too. And, and everyone I meet, I want them to live in the house of the Lord forever. We, you know, we, we get confused about what heaven is and isn't. We're going to look at scripture when we go through that series and, and talk about it. And, and, and I think sometimes we don't look forward to heaven and we have a fear of dying because we don't clearly see the picture that God is painting. We don't clearly see what God has created. And there's a lot of scriptures that talk about what it is and what it isn't. And I'm telling you, it isn't boring. It isn't going to get old. And if you think you can have adventures and fun here, just wait. Better than Disneyland, I guarantee it. Have to be. That place can't be that great. <laughs> but no, God is building something for you. It says, I will live in the house of the Lord forever forever. So God offers us protection. He offers us travel through the journey. He offers us the cup of blessing. He offers us anointing. He gives all of these things to us, protection and the banquet spread out, even in this life. And then he says, I'm preparing something for you that's even greater. That's what we're looking forward to. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that your word instructs us, that it guides us, Lord, I thank you that you have promised us an eternity, and I know we didn't get really to talk much about heaven, but the more, the more that I read scripture on it, the more I hear about it, the more anxious I am to experience it. And I know we can't experience it until it's our time, so. But, but I want to be like David. I want to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I desire that all of us would know you as the provider king, as, as the protector, as the one who saves, as the one who comforts. Lord, help us when we read through Psalm 23 to, to gain that comfort, to, to rely on that and to rest in that and to say, hey, this is a promise for me just as it was for David. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue us all the days of our lives and we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Lord, we pray that prayer over ourselves right now. We ask that you would protect us, that you would pursue us, and that you would guide us. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. And stand for our closing song. We hope that this message will help guide you toward positive, Christ-centered change. By reviewing this podcast, you could be part of spreading the good news. Please also consider giving a donation to our ministry at cometoabc.com slash giving. As always, these messages are available to copy and share on social networks. Until next time, continue to grow in Jesus.